You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So this was the uh, this is the third in a three-part series uh, on the question of monotheism, and I, I see some new faces. I I think it's pretty. You skipped the Jewish and Islamic part. You came straight for the Christian part. I know where your hearts are. They <laughs> said I got that other stuff. Uh, but I do think it might be prudent to review, uh, just because I know how Sunday school works and popping in and out and uh, children and and coffee and all the things that go into Sunday school. <laughs> um, the, this this whole uh, attempt has been to try to talk about monotheism uh, as a concept, but also as a historical reality in the three religions that are commonly called the three monotheistic religions. Uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And historically, we're out of order a little bit in terms of how they've come about in history. We did start with Judaism. I'll review each of these separately. Uh, but then we jumped to Islam. Now we're backing back up into, uh, into the Christian idea of monotheism, uh, where we're going to end uh, the series today. Uh, and that, that of course, is a, that means monotheism. <laughs> I, it's a sketch I found. Uh, but, we, but what are we, what are we talking about when we, when we, when we're talking about monotheism? First of all, and, and let me just add a word on this. Why is it important to talk about it now? Come on in. Come on in, please. You're not. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Long we, we, we've, we've established we're talking about monotheism, so come on in. Uh, one reason I think it's worth talking about now, a couple, of, a couple of thoughts on it. One is just the complexity of the world we live in with the collision of the clash of civilizations that we've seen in our, late, in our lifetime in the, last, in the late 20th and early 21st century. I think there's just that product. Uh, that's that's worth talking about, and ignorance of it is is to our own detriment. The, the second reason is I think there's serious differences, and that we don't dwell on those differences enough. We we may superficially attend to them, but I think it's good to get back to sort of basics. Why are these differences there, and why do they matter? Um, and 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 that would lead me to a third reason I think. Something like this is, is worth our time, um, which is th those differences have to do with truth claims uh, that some in, in our culture would hedge. It they would hedge. They have to do with um, normative claims about who we are, what we need. Uh, and they would hedge in the sense that you could make the argument, aren't we all talking about the same thing, just different expressions? And I want to argue or show or, or try to press that that's not what we're doing when we talk about Christian monotheism. Monotheism as a concept is, is an attempt or an actual, an actual refutation of the following, polytheism, henotheism, pantheism, and animism. Um, this is all review. Some of you may have been in here before. I'm repeating. But the point being is, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there, um, out of these expressions of religion, 
a new idea. I'm putting it in finger quotes for a reason. Comes on the scene uh, uh, specifically through the Jews, specifically through the story of Abraham. Or I mean, it depends on where we want to press it. But the point being, that this idea of one God emerges. Now, the, the, the term, the terms themselves, including these, polytheism, henotheism, pantheism, and animism, are all terms of development in the Enlightenment period, the 18th century, and the 19th century. But so is monotheism. It's actually an academic label that came out of the study of the ancient Near East. All right, so why, why rehearse that? Why care about that? Because if it is a term or a concept, I, here, I got a nice reconstruction of the Jewish temple there. What happens is several ideas emerge uh, a couple hundred years ago, well, not quite, that monotheism is a product of a kind of evolution from more primitive religions, or that it was discovered or invented by Moses. <laughs> or it was plagiarized. It was something that was already embedded in the ancient Near East and that it was uncovered, or I'm sorry, stolen, plagiarized uh, by uh, the sort of Canaanite Palestinian uh, world in the form of Judaism. Uh, I, I said the first lesson, the very first day, I don't agree with this. I think there's another way to think about monotheism. And that is that one God is a kind of self-revelation. It is a self-revelation. It is God's. It is God telling us that there's an alternative to this. There's something else. Okay. And I think we. That's a starting point. And I think that uh, it was from this starting point we worked through the distinctives of Judaism. Okay. And the distinction of Judaism, I'm not going to rehearse it all again with all the, the, the nice words of Torah and, and, and law, etc. But I said, you know, it, without a doubt, there's certain things that in, in Judaism that we have continuity with as Christians. Okay? Uh, so, for instance, I borrowed from Moses Maimonides, a 12th century scholar, who was the first Jewish attempt to systematize rabbinical thinking. What do Jews believe? I always put a proviso in here. A lot of Jews disagree about this list. It's, but it, it's, a, it's a starting point. A lot of them agree as well that, hey, there's some overlap here. Uh, when, we start to, when we study Torah, and then it, I, I put this little chart together in the red, uh, uh, these are what I would call Christian overlaps with Judaism. Okay? Um, so there's that. Um, again, rehearsing the first lesson, the first week we did this. But there are also significant differences which we're going to develop more today. And I would put those differences as here. We'll revisit this slide. But just to chew on it for a minute, when we talk about one God, we're not talking about the same religion. There's a certain obviousness to that, a kind of, yeah, well, I get that, uh, Wallace. But... Uh, but but then you know I, again it, it, without trying to be too pedantic what I'm what I'm saying is it's worth reflecting on it's worth reflecting on what we mean by the application of law 
well, who is the Messiah, the obvious one? What is Israel? And then are we just a, a common system of ethics? I'm going to try to say something about these uh, in the remainder of our time. Um, yeah, okay. So that, that's where we started trying to understand Jewish uh, monotheism or Hebraic mono, monotheism. Uh, then last, we, we, we skipped a week for confirmation, and then we came back and jumped ahead to uh, a religion we can actually date. <laughs> uh, you know, we can't really date every event in the Old Testament or New Testament. We, we work out of archaeological records and, and, and such. But we can actually date Islam as uh, beginning with a series of revelations of the prophet Muhammad in the year 610 to 6, his death in 632. Those revelations become uh, collected. The Qur'an, the recitations, become the Qur'an. The book of recitations, um, recite is the verb Qur'an. There's ancient Mecca. I, there's modern Mecca. Um, and uh, Islam, of course, is, is a development out of the peninsula of Arabia. I'm breezing through this because I'm trying to summarize. And uh, but but and here's a there's a, a picture of the oldest one of the oldest uh, examples of the Quran we have out of the University of Birmingham in England. Uh, but what was what's key here? What what's key here? What's our main point to get into the Christian idea of monotheism? What's key here is that Islam has not, nor will it ever consider itself a new revelation. On, on, a, on a chronology, or on a, um, if, we, if we slapped a chronology over it, right, we, even if we weren't Christians, might just look at it through common sense and say, well, this comes later. Well, chronologically, uh, yes, it does. Judaism, Christianity, then Islam. But Islam does not see itself that way. Uh, Islam understands itself as a final revelation, a correction, a clarification. A gift. A gift. Um, this is a quote we put up last week. We, uh, the Jews and the Christians receive genuine revelation. Uh, and if you read the Quran, which I'm, I'm sure was on your list of, to do later today, <laughs> if, you, if you read the Quran, you will see these prophets listed. You will see Bible verses you're familiar with in there. Stories, they, they, they will be jumbled from your perspective and confused. I mean, you'll find Mary connected to the Old Testament, okay? And but you you'll see Abraham, you will see the prophets, and there you'll see Noah. <laughs> so you'll see these familiar faces and figures. Uh, so, and then you'll see New Testament, including Jesus as well. It is we are recipients, Jews and Christians, of genuine revelation. Unfortunately, according to Muhammad's word, we are unfaithful to the Abrahamic. Legacy. This has required another one that has been delivered through the prophet. This is the final revelation uh, of God. Okay. And there are nuances and details, and, and perhaps we'll have time to, to chat about that. But I, I want us to get to Christianity. And that's going to require a little bit of time. So uh, I'll pause for a moment, but I don't want to chase too many rabbits. But is there any clarification I need to add to what we've done so far? We've got a new revelation in Islam, and then we've got this older revelation in Judaism, and somewhere Christianity has to be understood 
as the third monotheistic religion, but are they the same thing? Are we talking about the same God? Are we talking about the same way of knowing? Pregnant pause. Okay, and now I think so. Everything's perfectly clear. Um, there'll be we'll we'll jump in as you as you think of of things you want to uh, you want to discuss. I should add this before we take our next step into Christianity. One of the most impo- two important points about Islam in relationship to Christian monotheism. First, <laughs> this is a big one, is the incarnation. All right, Jesus is not God. We, or the Christian community, the followers of Jesus, made him into a God. That's the corruption. Okay, we deified a man who was a prophet. That's why Muhammad had to come get us straight again. You see, I I didn't mean to be flippant about that, but that's the idea. The second thing, and we're going to dwell more on this, is Trinitarianism. The Trinity is... A foreign concept. In fact, it is condemned uh, in two specific areas of the Quran: um, Surah 5:72 and 70, and Surah 171. Uh, um, it is condemned. So we want to keep that furniture in mind as we arrange the room on Christian monotheism. All right. All right. So. Are we talking about the same God? Are we talking about the same God? Um, I, I don't know who those people are, but I thought it was a good picture. <laughs> so, uh, he looks to be Eastern Orthodox there uh, with his hat and beard. But um, um, are, are, are we saying this? Many of us have seen the bumper sticker coexist. So this idea is that my, what we're really talking about in monotheism is an evolution of an ethical concept. Okay? That, that's the idea that I introduced you to, that Judaism becomes the first expression out of the ancient Near East that then leads to a Christian expression uh, that gives us a more developed ethic that then also has common overlap with Muslim culture and teaching. The answer is unambiguously yes and no, right? You got that. <laughs> okay. Right. It's, it's yes and no. Um, and and that's, what we're, that's what I want to launch from here. Okay? Uh, and here, here's where I want us to just chew for a moment mentally. That there are four important concerns of our faith or of the Christian faith. Uh, that distinguish it from these other con- the concerns of Judaism and Islam, or the identity markers of, of Judaism and, and Islam. And let's take them in order. The first is Christianity is not an abstract ethical monotheism. Let's put it in more simple terms. Christianity is not just a system of behavior, ethics, or a code of um, moral uh, precepts, okay? Christianity is something else. Now, I want to be clear, because I, I 
my, my, my friends and scholars in the Muslim and Jewish world to be respectful of this. I, I, I think they would say, well, our religion isn't either. But some would say that. Post-enlightenment, post sort of the last couple of hundred years, though, this has been one of the reductions of these systems of monotheism into uh, an idea that can't we all just get along? We're talking about the same moral uh, potential, the same moral possibilities. I, I, I would urge that that is not what Christianity is doing. It is not simply talking about moral possibility. It is saying something radically different about human nature and what human nature needs for its completion, for its fulfillment, for its happiness, for its joy. It's saying something different. And in that sense, uh, we, we contend with uh, a system that is more than ethics. It, it, I'm going to use a nice, well, I'm not going to use that word. Uh, it, 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 we, we are contending, we are in, we are in a confession a system of confession that is not simply here's what I do, it's who I am. It's being as well as doing. Okay? Uh, and in that sense, it has very specific claims about what we need, what our condition really is, and what our need really is sin and redemption. Uh, and also, it, it, as a monotheistic religion, there is a, there is a, Christianity, because it's not simply an ethical code, it, it, it throws deep promise on the sovereignty of God, the love of God, uh, his care for us, our need of him in a way that that completion can only be made through Christ. Second, a second very important consideration is Christianity has to reckon with continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We cannot advance a step further until we do that. As a matter of fact, the early church understood this perfectly. Paul understood it perfectly, if you read him carefully, because most of what he's trying to say is, what does it mean to be a Jew and what does it mean to be a Christian? As we advance into the first, second, and third centuries, they're still wrestling with this in the early church, and they're still trying to make sense of, are we Jews or are we something different? And you sprinkle a little Greek philosophy on top of that, and you really got an argument going for about 400 years, right? Actually, probably to this day. But Christianity has to reckon with continuity and discontinuity. And here's what, what I mean by my yes and no. We do have something deeply in common with the Jews. We, Yahweh, God. The, the, the most important continuity we share is that God of the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. They are not two different gods. Um, uh, this is an argument started in the second century. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's led to a series of crises through the church, but there's nothing new under the sun when we still hear that, oh, we're talking about how are these things different if we're talking about the same God? What is the discontinuity? And, and that's where I throw us back to the slide I ask you to remember, which is the continuity and discontinuity hinges on this. What do we mean by the law and how it's applied? And then, of course, we probably that should be in, oh, dare I say, red letters. <laughs> okay, the, uh, the Messiah... <laughs> 
the Messiah. Right? Of, of, this one is, is a hot potato, but, but it's a theological concept. But Israel is, is, is huge. What do we mean by Israel? And then, of course, back to this question, are we just talking about codes of behavior? Well, the continent, what I mean by continent, how much is in common and how much is not in common, that is Christian theology 101. That's Christian monotheism 101, is that when we say we're talking about the same God, what do we mean by that? Because as Paul makes clear, we're not. What are we then? Let, let, let's, let's think about this. Here, here are, um, well, yeah, let's think about it. Let's pause. We'll think about that in just a moment. I want to finish the list and then we'll, we'll move forward. How is Christianity different from Islam? In its most fundamental sense, Christianity does not countenance new revelation. Again, we're thrown back into our earliest fathers of the church, the first couple of hundred years. What is revelation and what constitutes it? Uh, we have the witness of Scripture that tells us what it is, that the law and the, of the law and the prophets. But then the building of the additional, the New Testament, is so much ascribed to the early church. Uh, it is from the beginning. It is from its beginning been a closed canon. It has not been uh, this ongoing several hundred year debate about what to do with this or that. It became over. A, a relatively fast period of a generation, an accepted body of literature that this is the word of God that is necessary for salvation, as our prayer book says. Okay? In that sense, I, I think it is I think it is not careless to say that we are conceptually and linguistically, we could be referring to the same idea, but historically and, and, and realistically, we are not talking about the same God because we are talking about a revelation that is incompatible with the Christian revelation. Another way to put it would be we don't have simply continuity and discontinuity between Islamic theology and Christian theology. There are two different claims going on. The Islamic claim. Yep, absolutely. The new revelation is the Shahada. There is no God but God. Muhammad is the messenger of God. It's the second clause that's the problem. Uh, the claim uh, Christians cannot accept uh, the, the prophecies of Muhammad as uh, binding uh, or as additional truth or a, cl or a clarification of truth. Well, what was the new revelation that Muhammad gave? It, well, it was the... Yeah, that he, he's the messenger and then the, the collection of, of the Quran, the, the recitations over the ethical and moral teachings of the law of Sharia over a 21-year period. That's the new revelation. Whereas Christ is the fulfillment. Correct. Of the Correct. So there's no new revelation. Yes, sir. That's, that's it.
that, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting. So, um, and then finally, uh, so with this slide I keep coming back to, um, Christianity is Trinitarian. And, and that's where we want to head now in, in this, this direction. Um, th- this is huge. I mean, this is a series of classes, if not a lifetime in and of itself with this claim. But these four things are concerns specific to uh, the Christian confession of faith um, that, that, that put the trajectory of Christian monotheism on a different tack than the other two expressions. Okay, and then let's. It wouldn't be church if we didn't be authoritative about this in terms of how we understand it scripturally. We have the words of Christ Himself. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. That's exactly the word you you just used, which is what Muhammad does not say that in so many words. He's come to correct it. Yeah. Um, Christ has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Nothing will pass away until all is accomplished. Those are the words of Christ in Matthew. A much longer, more complicated passage out of Romans from Paul that, that demands a, you know, a, a lot more attention. But, but for your own consideration in your own time, Romans 3, Romans in general, but Romans 3 in particular, what what is the advantage of the Jew or of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were trusted with the oracles of God. That's, that's Paul, the last of the apostles. He's not misleading us. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? I, I, there's so much to chase here, but we're trying to keep it in the framework of monotheism. Um, um, and this relationship of continuity and discontinuity um, the righteous of, righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it continuity and discontinuity right um, is God uh, the God of the Jews only is he not the God of the Gentiles also yes of the Gentiles also since God is one Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. My goodness, what a loaded... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not adept or, or ready to do this, but I want you to see in that, that expression of continuity and discontinuity in, in early Pauline thought um, that, that, that pushes us to... Uh, to wrestle with this question of how we are both, we're monotheistic, but there's something different uh, going on. Um, we have the uh, other witnesses um, of, um, of Christ who talks about his relationship to the Father, that he actually shares a relationship. Whoever listens to you listens to me, rejects you, rejects me. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. <coughs> Um, that they may honor the Father. Uh, you, you see them there. The, the, the past, and then we have later the testimony of the early followers of Christ in the New Testament that talk about how the Father and the Son share a relationship. 
that is unique. Okay, So I'm pushing us to this last point of Trinitarianism. That to talk about Christian monotheism, you cannot do it apart from this development in the New Testament of this relational aspect of God in the Godhead. Okay, So uh, um, you, you see the, the scripture there. Um, and then it's not just the relationship between the Father and the Son. This, this idea of the Holy Spirit is brought, in, brought to bear on our monotheism. Jesus drew near in Matthew. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples, make them disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sounds familiar, right? Um, I'm telling the truth, he says in John, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the spirit. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, will teach you everything and will help you to make you remember everything I've told you. Why, why, why do this? Because it is the most essential step we must take as Christians into this economic relationship between these three persons that changes monotheism forever in our confession. It changes how we understand monotheism. Okay, and it puts it in a new uh, relational uh, context. Here's, here's again. I, I, you can see my logic. I started with Christ's words. Now I'm looking at words from the uh, from the canon, uh, the testimony of the early followers, uh, where now we have the apostolic witness uh, to the Spirit in Acts, especially in Acts and Romans. Okay. But uh, so just to pause there, we have from the from the from the beginning of, of the of the establishment of the canon, from the words of Christ, from the words of the apostles, an understanding of monotheism that is structured around an economy of a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is discontinuity from Judaism. Okay. This is discontinuity. It is very discontinuous, if not even completely separate from Islam. There is no, matter of fact, Islam condemns this as tritheism. Okay, it's actually called shirk, is what it's called. It's a condemnation. Now, a couple more things that I would I would point out that's unique about Christian monotheism as it relates to this Trinitarian relationship, the early church, I want to to point this out. I want to point just a few quotes out for the simple reason that what you will sometimes hear is that the idea of the Trinity didn't come along until blank. Nicaea in 325, 326. Chalcedon, right? That these later councils came up with this idea of the Trinity much later. Well, first we had the testimony of Scripture that I just showed you. But second, Ignatius. Look at the date. That's 30 to 107 AD. That was how close he was to the Apostle John within 30 years. Okay? And we have a quote that talks about the Father, the Son, and the Comforter or Spirit. That's much earlier than the later church councils. 
Justin Martyr uh, down in Palestine, uh, for the name of God, again, 110 to 165, the name God, the Father, Savior Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You're getting the point. We have, much, we have very early witness to this Trinitarian formulation of Christian monotheism. Uh, and here's a good one from Irenaeus, a little bit longer, um, but almost reads like a confession between the years 120 and 202. I point this out because outside of the witness of Scripture, which is trustworthy, is we have this, these early Christian thinkers who are, who are articulating something that is not Judaism. Okay? A different kind of a relational understanding of God. And in some, and then we can discuss for a minute what I would, what I would point us to is this. What does this mean exactly when we say we're monotheist as, as, as Christians and, and in confession? First of all, it is not tritheism. It, we are professing one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, logically try to make sense of that. No, it, it, it's not it's not a one plus one plus one equals three relationship. OK, it has been it is a mystery. It's a, it belongs in the council of God. All right. It doesn't add up in any logical way, but it does add up as a witness of revelation and as a confession of faith. Because it, what is unique about this, there's the other way of putting it. What we're not saying is this. We're not saying that there are three individuals who make one God. We're not saying these are three gods joined together or these are three properties of God. What we are saying is when we say we're monotheists and Trinitarians, is, and this, this to me is one of the most unique and uh, just amazing aspects of our confession, is that our God is relational in and of his own being. In the same way, we need relations in our being. That there's something in the eternal counsel of God that while we can say it's a mystery, it's not a mystery beyond uh, our, our own grasp. It's something we can understand as creatures who can understand relations. We can understand relationships. So the mystery of the Godhead is a father, a person, and a spirit. A head, a heart, a body. Uh, all the metaphors of history that have been applied to it. But the most important takeaway is, this is a revolution. It's a revolution that's born of the Christian witness. Uh, to see God uh, relationally from eternity, uh, and yet say that we profess him as one God. Um, no other religion in the world offers that. There's no correspondence. Um, so I'll close there. And any, any um, thoughts? Yes, sir? I believe that the Holy Spirit was first discovered by Adam and Eve. That's God's identity talking directly to us. Yeah. It was not English. Yeah. It was not a word. The snake understood it as well as Adam and Eve. Yes, sir. But that's been throughout history. 
Let us create. Let us make. The very first words. Let us make. So, so the Trinity has always been. That's right. We only find figured out. I think that's deep wisdom, and I and I, I wish we had more time. I thought you know God breathes into Adam, His Spirit into Adam. I mean, it's there. It's there. Uh, and it, it'll it'll floor you when you realize it's there. One other thing I'd like to say, and that is, pyramids identify the exact birthday of Christ and the exact date of the crucifixion. Okay. Did not mention Miami. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other questions or thoughts? Um, yes, sir. So, Muhammad went after, I guess, Christians thinking they had kind of bastardized the message of the prophet. That's correct. That's correct. But Jesus' own words are pretty clear in who he is. Yes. So did Muhammad just, well, how did he reconcile So he doesn't reconcile it. He, he has great, Jesus has a very high prophetic role in Islam. He is, an, again, he's been deified, though, in a way that Islam says is prohibited. He's been made into a god, and his message was misunderstood. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not going to satisfy. It's not going to satisfy. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.